Rural hospitals require leaders with fortitude who can persevere in the toughest of circumstances from staffing shortages to financial challenges to global pandemics. So how do rural hospital leaders step up and shepherd their team through peaks and valleys? With strong character, a mission-oriented mindset, and immovable determination. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 35 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Today we're talking about leading through adversity in the rural hospital world. We know rural hospitals face significant challenges and leaders have to rise to the occasion to push through. Yes, and we are joined by someone who is not too far from us leading a rural hospital as a CEO after years in the nursing world. That's right. Our guest today is Lily Patricevich, Chief Executive Officer for Sheridan Community Hospital in Sheridan, Michigan. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Lily. Thank you for having me. Lily, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at Sheridan? Sure. Thank you, Rachel. I'm Lily Patricevich, and I'm a CEO in Sheridan Community Hospital, um, middle of Michigan. Uh, I'm a nurse by background, and I uh, collected my experience through many, many different leadership positions over past, um, let's say, 28 years uh, in large systems and also in a smaller healthcare organizations. Um, I started my career as bedside nurse uh, on ortho unit and uh, trauma ICU. I was a case manager as well, and also uh, led some large uh, nursing units. In the past, I uh, managed a large transfer center and worked on a throughput, hospital throughput of patients. Uh, Participated in uh, emergency preparedness command centers and have that training in background as well. Uh, Then I became a director of nursing in various settings there too from home care to the hospital nursing and uh, worked with a third party payers um, as well. Sheridan Hospital, however, is my first uh, rural healthcare organization experience. And I started there as a director of nursing in uh, 2019, uh, just before COVID-19 pandemic hit. Uh, What a timing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I took a CEO position during the COVID-19 pandemic your pandemic and uh, actually uh, faced uh, healthcare challenges ever since. Um, and those were not small ones, as you can imagine, <laughs> and you have experienced them too. <laughs> Indeed, Lily. In fact, uh, you and I came in about the same time into our organizations. Uh, I came in June of last year. Uh, so this is completing my first year here at Hillsdale Hospital as the CEO, previously serving as a COO. But uh, we certainly were faced with a lot of challenges, weren't we? And and even so much for you, uh, you know, having transitioned out of that chief nursing role. And I'm just so excited, Rachel, to talk to Lily today. She's become a very good friend of mine and a colleague. And we often share war stories, don't we, Lily? Correct. JJ, uh, I think it's important to support each other, especially uh, when the challenges are such uh, that we're facing. Absolutely. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. Now, we do this on every episode. We just want to get to know our guests just a little bit better. So, Lily, what is your why? What motivates you and what gets you up out of the bed in the morning? Um, So my background is in nursing, as I mentioned, and a profession I really appreciate and love. Um, There is nothing more satisfying to me than being able to help those in need 
no matter where you're at and delivering that care. Uh, every day brings something new, different. And if I'm a part of a solution, any improvement or a better quality of care uh, that we can provide to our communities, that's really what it makes me happy and satisfied and actually even more motivated. So, uh, you know, that would be my first why. So my second why is uh, my family, uh, my loving husband and my two daughters who have grown to be very nice and productive and kind young ladies. And that really what motivates me as well to get up and go and do the new things and make this uh, world a little bit better place, hopefully. So Lily, a trivia question. Are your daughters going to enter healthcare? J.D., that's a very good question. No, uh, I actually, uh, <laughs> actually, one of my daughters is, I, I should say, uh, she was not thinking about this, but end up in the healthcare. Uh, she's working for Johnson and Johnson oh, and uh, actually subsidiary for that, uh, working in a cath lab as the mapping, mapping the hearts for the physicians Fantastic. and helping them that Fantastic. way. Fantastic. Uh, she has a master's in physiology, so really her area, and she loves that. Uh, the other one is actually going into the politics. Good for her. Good for her. My goodness. We'll just leave it there in a lot of prayer <laughs> is all I'm going to say. So, so, you know, Lily, I've always enjoyed our conversations and always have been fascinated uh, with your background. And, you know, we hear more and more CEOs that are appointed uh, for hospitals, large and small, who have a background in nursing. And that's obviously where you started. Uh, you have a solid background in nursing, and now you've moved up to the position of CEO. Um, so when in your career did you realize that you wanted to take this position as a chief executive officer running a hospital, not just providing care to your patients, but all the nuances and all the challenges of becoming a CEO? When When is your place that you arrived at that decision? So, JJ, this happened to me very late in my professional career, uh, a year and a half ago, uh, when pandemic hit and we faced serious, cha serious challenges uh, with assuring um, requiring P PPE, uh, when no one knew what this COVID was all about. That is when I faced, uh, you know, my opportunity for CEO position. At that time, executive board had several conversations with me. Uh, and my future in Sheridan and hospitals future and so on. Uh, I always um, you know, wanted to be a nurse and I really didn't even think about uh, CEO in such a high leadership position. Uh, so as a young immigrant nurse as well uh, from small Southern European country that I come mm -hmm. from, uh, I started the nursing career all over again here about 30 years ago. When I ended up marrying my American uh, soldier husband <laughs> and moved to this strange country. <laughs> and so I personally thought I achieved quite a bit yeah. without being a CEO. Um, but when they started really these conversations with me, um, I kind of realized that uh, this hospital really needs help. And uh, it was uh, positioned in really... Um, their time, if you will, uh, and, uh, you know, situation, as you know, rural hospitals are facing with their financial situations, with continuous, you know, uh, competition with big boys and bigger and better hospitals and systems. Uh, that really all puts the hospital into the area where, you know, are they going to survive mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. not uh, in that question. 
So at the time pandemic hit and uh, the community response is really the one that uh, kind of pushed me and convinced me that I really want to take the mission and uh, see if I can improve this hospital and put them into the uh, next level and, uh, you know, um, make it happen. So, Lily, you've talked a little bit about uh, your experience uh, in the CEO world, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in a few minutes. But you're at a critical access hospital, correct? That is correct. So for our listener today who may not know the difference between rural and critical access, talk a little bit about critical access, if you would, please. Critical access hospitals are special designations that rural health hospitals can have, uh, and that is that uh, they're able to maintain uh, no more than 50 beds or uh, less about 25. Uh, And those are just really basically meant to be to stabilize the patients and, you know, treat what you can in that uh, in your area and then transfer Uh, more demanding cases, if you will, or Mm -hmm. clinically unstable cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a trauma level, uh, designation level four, and uh, that is pretty low, if you will. Uh, We can do uh, some basic things, stabilizing, and then again, we transfer out. Uh, We also, as a critical access hospital, have ability um, to have the patient in the same bed uh, with a different level of care. What does that mean? Uh, When we admit the patient and we treat the patient as an acute level of care, uh, once they, if they need some rehab after that, we don't need to transfer that patient. Patient actually remains in the same bed. It's called swing Mm -hmm. bed program uh, Mm -hmm. that we are able to offer in those, uh, in that designation as well. We have 24 seven ER as well that uh, we can, you know, uh, see the patients uh, overall. We also uh, have ability to have the PCP uh, adjoint to us as well uh, that, you know, provides a preventative care and of course the, all the, you know, uh, uh, primary care physician Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, services. mm So, Lillian, of course, you get billions and billions of dollars from the government to do all this, don't you? I mean, they're just throwing so much money at critical <laughs> access right now. We Absolutely. can't even. That's the whole reason we're doing the podcast, because yeah. we have billions of we dollars bi- in rural health care. I was told that the other day by someone who says, you guys must just got billions of dollars, billions with a B. I don't even think in they American gave out billions. I don't or? even think they gave what out billions. <laughs> but there is that misconception. And I know you've been challenged at Sheridan, you know, in terms of some of the financing and. Uh, looking at some options to try to sustain your hospital and keep it going. Uh, That's been a challenge. That is correct, JJ. And you know, those billions, uh, we both want to know where they're held so we can go and grab them, right? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) we sure do. Because they're not in our hospitals. They're not. Um, You know, exactly. Uh, Smaller hospitals, especially in the rural area, uh, we're very challenged with that. Uh, You know, the big word is actually this uh, this year and last year, and it's been like this several years, years, uh, is survival. Right. Can we survive? Uh, in uh, 2020, it looks like we had a record year we for did. rural health hospitals closures. It's devastating. It ter- it's terrible. Um, you know, correct. Uh, research shows that 136 rural hospitals have closed mm-hmm. since 2010. And again, 
last year being the record year, what does that tell you? Uh, that just means right. that uh, the funds are not available and we're the first ones to be affected by such uh by such pandemics right. and large, you know, right. uh, hit in healthcare. So uh, that being said, um, you know, just generally uh, survival being a spot for us to be working on and trying to keep our hospitals afloat and provide the care and services in rural communities uh, for our, you know, patients and the communities in general, which they want us to right. remain in these areas, right? Uh, it is a challenge. Now add the pandemic and the costs and cut of mm-hmm. the surgical services that we all had to close for a while. Uh, then fear of you know yes. a community coming coming into the hospitals when they know that the COVID patients are there and the exposure is going to be also increased uh, adds just to the you know problem and sure um, our challenges that we are facing today. So. Return to volumes uh, prior to COVID, it has been a challenge for many hospitals. I know JJ, you and I have been discussing this, uh, you know, before. Um, we're trying to do services, encourage, you know, population to say, you know, it is safe to come back to the hospitals for your services. And overall, the question also brings, what are we doing for our population and their health? Mm-hmm if they're delaying services and care and so on. We're detecting, mm-hmm. you know, anything serious much, much later. So really, is it going to be much better care when we are treating more acutely ill patients Absolutely. than not? So those are all the challenges we're all facing. Absolutely, Lily. So, and I think one of the ways that, you know, different hospitals address those challenges is really dictated by the leadership. The leader sets the tone, right? So speaking of you as the leader, now that you're in the CEO seat, which like you said, you took during the pandemic, you you moved from director of nursing to CEO in the middle of that. What do you bring to the table with your nursing perspective that gives you an advantage over leaders who maybe haven't had that same level of clinical experience before becoming a CEO? So, Rachel, we all strive to be the best in every field possible, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Leaders who have no medical background, for example, and lead hospitals um, have other uh, other areas of strength that serve them well in their roles, uh, that is why it's so important to collaborate, discuss, offer support amongst the peers at this level. And as JJ mentioned, we have been really doing this a lot this past year, uh, sharing our experiences, sharing support, knowledge, and so on. Uh, because after all, uh, after all this, we are all trying to do the best for our communities wherever we are in Michigan or in the United States in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, as other rural hospitals, the viability is also one of the top priorities for us, as I mentioned, finance and so on. So, uh, you know, my knowledge uh, in business that I took uh, right after my uh, bachelor's degree in nursing is the one that really kind of uh, gave me the education on that piece. Mm-hmm. But truly, in my situation as a nurse, um, the frontline tenure that I experienced as a bedside nurse and then manager and director and being there, yeah, walking in their shoes, uh, I tend to understand the issues at the bedside and the middle le- leadership um, maybe a lot closer than somebody who has not um, uh, you know, had that, those experiences. 
I also realize without uh, uh, their dissertation, when the problem is serious and need immediate attention. So they don't need to explain too much to me to be able to understand and say, I get it, where are you at and what do we need to do? Uh, so um, we lead those discussions, you know, as colleagues, more or less, and nurse to nurse and provider to provider and so on. Uh, for example, you know, what was really successful in my, uh, in my case was that during the COVID pandemic, emergency preparedness, you know, I led the whole thing and it was really effective. Uh, we never were short of PPE. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no question about the plan. What are we going to do and how? So that was all done very quickly and efficiently. Uh, but also, um, you know, I have a tendency to put my scrubs up on and, you know, go and help, uh, you know, nurse on the floor when it's really uh, all hands on deck and so on. And I think that that piece they appreciate as well. So again, I bring to the table some of my experiences that maybe are closer to those departments when others are, you know, having experiences that we can share uh, in the other areas. And uh, that's, again, why the collaboration is very, very important. You know, Rachel, there's a story that I want to share with you. Mm -hmm. So Lily and I were scheduled to have a phone call. I was scheduling a meeting with several rural CEOs and uh, actually to the point that you raised earlier about collaboration, Lily, the importance of it. You know, we have started kind of this uh, informal uh, rural CEO group and, and I got us all together and, you know, we've been having some discussions, sharing in a lot of the similarities because what we recognize is that closures equal poor health outcomes for our communities. And so we're fighting for all the right reasons. And I do recall that we were scheduled to talk, Lily, and I got a note from you and it said, JJ, headed over to take care of patients in the ER. And that just struck a chord with me. How incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I talk to leaders throughout this country, large facilities, you know, and they don't understand uh, the critical nature of rural hospitals in the sense that we were texting each other, Lily and I, at 10, 11 o'clock at night, right. talking about issues during COVID. Lily, what are you doing with your swabbing center? Lily, what's in sharing those points of information? And then just to have it come full circle and for her to say, I have to go take care of the patients. Mm -hmm. And that is rural health as right. we know it. It's right. me taking a patient home in my car the other day. It's mm -hmm. Lily going over to the emergency department. And so those are all so critical aspects of, of the nature of the work that we do and why it's so important to keep our hospitals open. So it's all about leadership, you know, and... One of the questions that Rachel asked me about when she ambushed me, I didn't even know it was going to happen, uh, <laughs> and I was the interviewee uh, on episode 31 of Rural Health Rising, was about leadership style in general. Uh, so in that same tradition, Lily, uh, I want to ask you about that aspect as well. What is your approach to leadership and how do you guide your team? Um, so, JJ, my leadership style, the describe it is uh, that one of servant. As a nurse and healthcare leader, I think we should have a strong component of servant leadership uh, for our patients, our main customers. Uh, when they're most vulnerable, uh, weak, and experiences absence of health, those are the times when they need us the most. Mm -hmm. And if we act as servants during that period of time to them, I think that that elevates the work that we do, mm -hmm. all of us in healthcare. So uh, that is something that uh, it's been in me kind of uh, all this time. And uh, I 
feel that uh, this attitude and this type of a leadership actually uh, is now permeating throughout the organizational culture that we're trying to establish in Sheridan and uh, that decisions that we're making and uh, how do we really uh, function and so on. And it gives us some kind of, uh, you know, arrow, if you will, where we go and the direction that we are moving towards. Uh, so that is usually how I lead my teams. And this is usually how I guide my teams uh, as what do we need to do to serve these patients? Because that's the reason why we're there. Absolutely. It's very evident in all that you do and all that you say, Lily, that you are, in fact, a servant leader. Yeah, it sounds like your approach is very that that servant leadership approach is really how you keep things, I think, mission oriented. Right. Because just Mm -hmm. as you said, you start every part of problem solving from what do we need to do for our patients? And that's your mission. And that's that vision of service. Um, And I do want to talk a little bit about facing adversity as a rural hospital leader, which you've already mentioned several things, the challenges um, that Sheridan, like Hillsdale and others that we've all faced, particularly in the wake of uh, COVID-19 and even before. And you're in a unique position because you took your role as a CEO (laughs) in the middle of COVID-19, which I would say most could argue. um, And would agree is the most challenging time in healthcare in uh, you know our recent history <laughs> that anyone alive today has uh, right. has been leading through. Yes. So, what are some of the challenges that you and your team have conquered, and how did you overcome those things? Very good question, Rachel. Yes, and one might think, uh, "What was I thinking?" <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, I mentioned this before. Uh, the reason why I took this position is because the Sheridan community, uh, just in general, has been facing quite a bit of a challenge at the time of the COVID pandemic when it started. Uh, and again, the response that I received from the we received the entire hospital from the community, uh, how much they have actually put effort to support us. Uh, they've been sending meals for the staff while COVID and pandemic and you know, doors were locked and just one entrance is open, if you will. Uh, they were, you know, they were sewing masks, you know, homemade masks for us if we needed mm-hmm. them to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, preserve PPEs and so on. Uh, calling us all the time, sending us emails of support, cards and so on. Uh, that is really what community is all about. And that is I wanted to be part of that. And this hospital wanted uh, the community wanted this hospital to remain in, uh, you know, in the midst of it. And uh, that is really what gave me the energy and the strength and uh, ability to say, you know what, we need to try to see what we can do and do the best to go through this, uh, you know, challenge, if you will, of the, you know, uh, um, this year or next year and so on. That being said, you know, when you look at it, uh, this is not the first time that healthcare went through this. When you look at back in 80s and, you know, AIDS, for example, pandemics, right, um, you know, uh, smallpox and all this, you know, through the history going around, we always have cha- uh, faced some challenges like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, people survived. So we have a good chances to go through this as well, right? The best that we can. And that's really what we did uh, in uh, Sheridan, how we faced, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic. So, Lily, I asked you earlier 
what gets you up out of bed in the morning? And you gave a fantastic reason uh, about what gets you up out of bed. You're a servant, you're a leader, uh, you give care at the bedside at times. But, you know, in our roles as CEOs, you know, I'm often asked, what keeps me up at night? And so I'm going to ask you the same thing. You know, what challenges keep you up at night? What are the, the most concerning things that are on your mind? And, you know, to a larger extent, uh, how, how do you work through those and how are you working on those? So uh, as a hospital, you know, as a, as a fairly new CEO, you know, what are those things? And, and hopefully you can give us some encouragement to our other CEOs out there listening today. Good question, JJ. And you know that uh, in our positions, uh, nights are kind of a short. (laughs) (laughs) Very. Um, You know, yes, there are many, many things on the table that uh, we're still working on and continue to do uh, facing those challenges. One of them is that uh, Sheridan actually has... um, added handicap uh, besides the COVID that we went through. Uh, Sheridan's situation, financial situation was very challenging prior to COVID. Uh, In the last past four to five years, they've been struggling financially. Mm -hmm. And that itself is something that, you know, can keep you up at night. Uh, Add COVID to that, uh, as we said, it's not easy. However, you know, uh, the ability to COVID allowed us actually another um, another test, if you will, uh, to pause and to reset actually in Sheridan. So what we've done is we used this time when the surgical surgeries were closed, surgical center was closed. We did had, uh, you know, a very low amount of patients, uh, volumes were down. Uh, that added another burden to us, but we used it in a wise way, if you will, where we did the reset and thinking about it, what improvements can we do internally, Mm -hmm. how we can improve the revenues, uh, what we had and uh, optimize those, Uh, try to think of new services that we were preparing and getting them ready to open when the pandemic was, uh, you know, allowing us to do so. Um, and we've done some of those challenges, um, you know, um, preparation for it, basically, for new services. Um, all that, of course, how is it going to go? You know, are we ready? What is the process going to be? Uh, is that going to be working? Is it going to pull us out of the financial uh, situation that we were at, um, you know, before? Uh, all that was keeping me at night quite a bit. Uh, I am uh, Pleased to report that uh, you know two years after all this, uh, all these issues, uh, we're doing really good. Uh, we are actually going in the right trajectory. We're introducing new services, and uh, you know where patients are coming back. Uh, but the volumes are still about seventy-five percent where they were at prior to COVID. So that's another you know challenge that uh, is uh, keeping me up at night. You know, Lily, I think we're all facing those challenges, and you've done a remarkable job at turning around some of the uh, finances at Sheridan and really investing back into your community and showing them that uh, rural health is so important. And even in our collaboration together, Lily, we're working on projects uh, with several of our community physicians in both of our communities, uh, looking at working with certain contracts, uh, even with the state of Michigan. I think there's some exciting things that are happening in healthcare, and especially for small rural healthcare. So I'm I'm excited to watch us grow. 
I'm excited to watch us grow together. Uh, the work that you and I are doing and some collaboratives I think are uh, powerful. The work that we're doing in small rural hospitals in our uh, group when we get together once a month uh, with uh, obviously the, the mentorship of a lot of senior executives who've been through uh, this process many times. I think there's great opportunities for us to learn uh, and to grow. And I think we have the best years ahead of us. I honestly believe that. JJ, I feel the same way. I think that uh, healthcare in the United States is not going to be as it used to be. There's going to be some changes coming across the board everywhere. Uh, you know, from these latest laws that they were, you know, passed by President Biden on the mergers to the, you know, uh, uh, changes in the workplace, if you will, and work from home yes. and so on, wherever it's possible. Uh, so uh, it's exciting. The new things cannot be all bad. They can be very good. So if we focus on that and collaboration, innovation and, you know, uh, working smart versus hard, you know, I think that, you know, we have a good, good chances, uh, especially in the rural health, um, you know, think about it, that uh, one in five Americans live in the rural areas. So we definitely are needed. Mm -hmm. And our, you know, existence is definitely going to be something that we're looking forward to, and working and making it better and bigger. Well said, Lily. And again, thank you so much for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. We can hear the passion in your voice. Uh, too bad they can't see you like we can. You got smiles. <laughs> you look happy. Looks like there's some sunshine on you. Life is good up there in Sheridan, Michigan. You're going to be preparing for the snow probably in the next couple of weeks. But we are so <laughs> glad uh, that you have uh, joined us today on Rural Health Rising. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel, JJ. It was a, It was my pleasure. And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. Maria's first rural health experience was five years ago, and it was a blur. She just remembers feeling incredibly anxious. She was buried beneath what seemed to be a mountain of stress, working multiple jobs, managing countless responsibilities, and not sleeping enough to account for that lifestyle. This stress peaked over the course of several nights where she could not go to bed. With very little sleep to help her cope with her stress, she started having a panic attack. It's a weird thing to explain, especially after so much time has passed since, Maria recalled. But it was as though I had this pulsating fear through every joint in my body. Like 12 areas in my body were just on fire and I was simply too afraid to go to sleep. A loved one drove her to a rural hospital and that's where the details get fuzzy. The ER nurses became faceless figures, not because they weren't memorable, but because she was just too tired to remember what had happened. However, the one detail that is plain as day to Maria was the feeling of peace that came over her being in that clean, reassuring hospital bed, where she remembers a gentle voice telling her, rest, just rest, it's all going to be okay. And for the first time in several days, she was able to sleep at that rural hospital. I don't know where else I would have gone, she said. I just wish I could remember the faces who took care of me so I could tell them thank you. 
You know, I think what's really powerful about that is the reminder that um, no matter what happens when we are with a patient, they will never forget. They might forget everything else, but they will never forget how we made them feel Absolutely. when we take care of someone. Um, and it really just shows that the the treatment that we give people, the the way we communicate with them, the way we take care of them can have a lasting impact. Before we close, Lily, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? So you, this is a good point. Uh, one of the unique, uh, unique, one, unique experiences is uh, driving uh, up to 66 to Sheridan uh, to work. Uh, every so often, uh, you can see the Amish buggies. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just part of the part of the normal drive. And, uh, you know, the first time when I was able to pass one, uh, I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, they're just on a road without, you know, any protection and so on. Uh, so it was very interesting. And uh, I am talking still about this uh, experience to this day. And I'm very, very cautious now on a road, too, when I'm driving because <laughs> they're passing them. So, Lily, my, my question is, how many Amish buggies are parked in your parking lot right now? Right now, probably <laughs> none. But okay. uh, last but they week have we had about four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's rural life, Lily, and welcome to it. It is fun. Thank you again for joining us today, Lily. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll be speaking with a finance expert to help us take a deep dive into capital and debt strategies for rural hospitals. So be sure to tune in. As a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct voicemail line at 269-447-1265 or email marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Lily Patricevich, Chief Executive Officer of Sheridan Community Hospital in Sheridan, Michigan. For more interviews like this and more information or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit RuralHealthRising.com.